Support for WVIK comes from Kathleen Collins at the Dragonfly in Bettendorf. Using both conventional and alternative counseling methods for empowerment to help create change for individuals and couples. More information is at KathleenCollinsCounseling.com. You're listening to These Interesting Times, Surviving 2020 in the Quad Cities, a literary anthology edited by Misty Urban and published by the Midwest Writing Center Press in Rock Island, Illinois. These Interesting Times, uh, Rocky Road by Karen Musser Nortman. 220 began for me as a mixed bag. We had a very nice Christmas with all of our family home, around 20 strong. That is no small achievement since our three kids, their spouses, and offspring are scattered from Georgia and West Virginia through Texas to California. At church the Sunday before Christmas, a wonderful soloist performed O Holy Night, my husband's favorite Christmas song. Christmas Eve, we gathered for a selection of soups and desserts. As usual, insults and jokes flew back and forth, and the assorted junk in the stockings was a hit. We later made it to the Christmas Eve service, complete with candlelight, beautiful music, and decorations. However, we hadn't put our big tree up with every ornament embodying a memory from our 56 years of marriage because we were staying in his sister's house. We needed to be on one floor and that was not available at home. These events were all made especially important, but also circumscribed by the fact that my husband Butch had stage four lung cancer. The previous year and a half had been a roller coaster. Thankfully, he had no pain, no weight loss, no loss of appetite, none of the usual symptoms. Some treatments seemed successful. Others, such as whole brain radiation, did more harm than good. The last months of 2019 saw a definite decline in his mobility, speech, memory, and swallowing ability. The swallowing difficulty meant he could only eat soft foods, and even that required my help. His lack of balance required constant aid with his walker. Physical therapy increased his confidence and skills slightly, but he wasn't able to keep those appointments. His personality changed, and although there were occasional glimpses of the old Butch and his sense of humor, most of the time I felt like I hardly knew him. But the biggest daily problem was communication. His speech became garbled. He tried writing and typing on his iPad, but those attempts were indecipherable. Our conversations were a combination of his wild and random gestures, my guesses, frustrated shakes of his head, me writing down words that he could point to, and so on. One morning I said, honey, I'm really sorry, but I am trying to understand you. I just can't. He blurted out, no, you're not trying. And then we both had to laugh because it was the clearest thing he had said all day. So it was with trepidation that we began the new year. We soon realized that the roller coaster had reached its high point, and as January progressed, we found ourselves hurtling down the steepest steepest slope of our lives. We weren't waving our hands high with glee, but clinging to the safety bar for all we were worth. By the end of January, it was necessary to have him admitted in the nearby nursing home. 
It was a Friday, and the first couple of days went pretty well, but sometime during Sunday night or early Monday morning, the car jumped the tracks. He got out of bed and fell, hitting his head hard and opening a cut above his eye. It took six or seven stitches to close it, and for about a day, he seemed on the mend. However, by 48 hours later, he wasn't eating, communicating, or seemingly recognizing anyone. He died a week later on Monday, February 3rd. As in most cases like this, there's little time immediately after the death of a loved one for much reflection, but there's always time for blame. I chastised myself for not staying with him at night to make sure he didn't get out of bed. The nursing home staff said they weren't allowed to put up bed rails or any kind of restraints. Perhaps he could have had a few more months or even longer if he hadn't fallen. That guilt hovered in the back of my mind. We had a visitation and funeral that was well attended. Our children were instrumental in planning the funeral. I put together photos for a slideshow at the visitation while they worked on the music. Butch whistled constantly and also loved to sing. He sang whenever we slow danced and he whistled or hummed when he was working on something. It was wonderful to hear the kids talk about the songs they connected with their dad, each one triggering a memory. All three spoke at the funeral, and I couldn't have been prouder. Our grandsons served as pallbearers besides helping with everything. People said to me, now don't isolate yourself. Many of our friends spent winter in the South and were not able to make the funeral. These friends included his longtime golfing buddies and people we had camped regularly with for the past 10 years or so. So we planned a memorial service in April at one of our favorite camping spots. It would be informal with the music he loved and a sharing of memories. We would have a campfire and some of his favorite foods. During the rest of February in a fog, I began the process of wading through paperwork and trying to plan my next moves. Our bank account had to be closed, a new one opened in my name only, and the account numbers changed on all automatic withdrawals. The titles to the house and vehicles also had to be put in my name. I had numerous appointments with our lawyer, Social Security, and the bank. I had to amend the original tax return that I had filed. What I didn't realize at the time was that the whole structure of that roller coaster was weakening and about to collapse. Stories about COVID-19 in certain hotspots in the country, especially Washington State and New York City, began to take the forefront in the nightly news. For us in eastern Iowa, it was still a distant creaking of the timbers. My son in Dallas suggested I come for a visit in March, get away to a little warmer weather. The week before I left, the first cases of the virus appeared in Iowa, but they were limited to a group of people from Iowa City who had been on a cruise to Egypt. As I drove south, I heard warnings from the CDC on my car radio to stay at home especially if you were elderly like me. I debated turning around, but I had planned to overnight in Northeast Oklahoma where my son's in-laws had a lake home that no one had been in for several months. I would go on to Dallas the next day and we had no plans to go out during my visit. I felt I would be safe enough and continued my trip. The advice I had gotten at the funeral not to isolate myself had been turned upside down in a way none of us could have foreseen in early February. My oldest son lives 100 miles from me. The other son and my daughter are 800 miles away in Texas and West Virginia. 
I couldn't be more isolated unless I lived on the moon. So I heartily welcomed the visit and enjoyed several days of conversation, reminiscing, and above all, not being alone. I returned home by the same route with an overnight in Oklahoma. By the time I pulled back into my garage, schools were closed, grocery stores were offering curbside pickup, and everyone who could sew was making masks. I continued the process of wrapping up my husband's life. I missed him terribly. I missed morning conversations about overnight political changes and private jokes. I missed touches, hugs, and hand-holding. The silliest actions triggered a memory. Getting out a Band-Aid for a paper cut on my finger reminded me how many Band-Aids he went through and that we probably bought this box together. I read an insightful description of losing a spouse. Losses Within Loss, Death of a Spouse and Grieving the Loss of the Couple by Joe Christner. She explains it as a double loss, the spouse and the couple. A graphic of two overlapping circles illustrates this. The overlapped area symbolizes the couple. This is where all of the shared experiences, dreams, trials, and connections reside, as well as private jokes, daily habits, and intimacies. When one circle is removed, the couple is gone, and the remaining circle has a big hole in it, leaving it off balance. The surviving spouse must fill that space with grieving, healing, and gradually a new identity in order to move on. We were campers and had purchased a new 30-foot travel trailer about three years before. Some of our best times in our retirement had been on camping trips, in the summer with friends to nearby parks, and in the spring and fall, long trips to the southeast, the southwest, the Dakotas, and the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. We had seen beautiful scenery, attended the Tucson Book Festival, visited historic sites, and even ended up near Selma, Alabama on the 50th anniversary of the Selma to Montgomery March. The trailer was very comfortable, and we had especially enjoyed some perks that our previous unit lacked. A bigger shower, more counter space, two recliners, and even a little electric fireplace. But when it became obvious by January of 2020 that Butch's driving days were over, and at 77, I wasn't about to learn how to tow that trailer, we decided to put it up for sale. If he was able to camp in the summer of 2020, we would find something I could drive. Since January, there had been some interest, but no takers on the trailer listing. But after his death, I sold his beloved pickup quickly to make funeral expenses. In March, a couple from Michigan, who had been looking for exactly the model trailer that we had, contacted me, drove down, and bought it. It was bittersweet success. So many memories wrapped up in less than 300 square feet. I didn't want to quit camping. It is therapeutic, I love the outdoors, and I write a series of light camping mysteries. As the pandemic rolled on, I realized that camping was a way that I didn't have to isolate myself while still staying safe. I purchased a small 2014 motorhome that I hoped I could learn to drive, but I had a lot of misgivings. A few days after my brother-in-law drove it home for me, our old camping group decided to make a short stay at a state park about an hour away. Battery trouble delayed my departure. I had a route in my head that would avoid any four-lane roads. It's a thing with me. I should have looked at a map. I ended up on a gravel road with nowhere to turn that beast around. 
The road twisted up and down hills, another roller coaster, and eventually I reached a surfaced highway. I made it to the campground, although I did have to tolerate a few comments when I arrived about the gravel dust. We did not share our meals as we had in the past, but did have a couple of socially distanced campfires. We took hikes and went mushroom hunting. Otherwise, we spent most of our time alone in our campers or campsites. I had already discovered at home the disconnected, apocalyptic feeling of the empty silence. That silence seemed magnified inside my little camper. The second night, a spring storm blew in off the lake, rocking the motorhome. Usually in campgrounds, the shower houses serve as storm shelters, but in early May, they were still locked due to COVID. I tried discussing the options with myself, but I wasn't much help. So I literally rode out the storm, expecting to be upended by every strong gust and sorely missing the reassuring company of my husband. Like the detour on the gravel road, I made it. Our internet and phone reception at this park has always been sporadic. I took a hike one day up to the top of the hill on the walking trail. I stopped at a bench to rest and, pleased to get a signal on my phone, sent a text. My dear friend and old neighbor Carol was in a memory care center with dementia and had recently been admitted to the hospital with pneumonia. My query about her status went through and the response was devastating. She had passed away the night before. Carol was one of the most talented, creative people I have ever known, and funny to boot. Every room in my house is graced by one of her artworks. We used to play marathon Scrabble games and kept a running total. We shared our children's growing pains, our struggles as teachers, and each other's pantries. The next day, I fretted when I saw that I had an email from a cousin whose mother lived in a nursing home in northwest Iowa, but I couldn't open the message. Once back in internet civilization, I stopped in a parking lot to open the message. My fears were not baseless. My Aunt Carol Dean had died. Aunt Deanie was 11 years older than me and more like an older sister. A restricted grave-sized service had to suffice for my friend, and a family-only visitation made due for my aunt. Closure in the midst of a pandemic is an elusive thing. Nor was Mother Nature going to cut us a break. A few weeks later, I was working in my kitchen early afternoon and heard a rumble, followed by a loud crack and a crash. I went to the slider and looked out. It was a beautiful sunny day, and the deck, topped by the pergola that my husband had added when we first moved in, gave the appearance of an arbor in Tuscany with lush, emerald green leaves hanging down from the beams, except that we don't have any vines. About one-third of a hundred-year-old maple that stood in my neighbor's backyard and shaded both of our lawns had fallen on my pergola and patio. Remember, this was a sunny day. That night, another huge chunk fell on my neighbor's patio and garage. For days, the whine of chainsaws predominated the neighborhood, while we, along with neighbors and friends, raked up debris and hauled small branches to the curb. A tree service took the rest of the grand old lady. We both planted spindly new trees to replace it, but like my personal losses, they will never fill the void in my lifetime. My friends and I created a few opportunities for human contact. Our Thursday morning coffee group met for a while in the bingo pavilion at the county fairgrounds. We all brought our own coffee and lawn chairs and sat well over six feet apart. That way we could enjoy a little company and catch up on the town gossip. Our Friday night supper group had taken a hiatus when the country club closed the dining room. In summer, we decided to try meeting in backyards, again bringing our own chairs and meals. 
We had Zoom church, Zoom coffee, Zoom family gatherings, and a Zoom writer's workshop. So these arrangements provided bright spots to otherwise lonely weeks when I was home, because home is not just a place. You cannot make a house a home by adding decorative touches, lighting candles, and hanging photos. Home is the lives that the house encompasses. When one of those lives is gone, the house loses its hominess. I don't mind some time alone. In fact, I relish it. In our marriage, we both had our own interests that the other didn't share. I love writing, crafts, and scrapbooking. He loved golf, watching most sports, especially the Hawkeyes. We both enjoyed reading, camping, travel, and spending time with our family. So as long as I'm doing my own hobbies, I've been okay, but that isn't 24-7. Like me, my camper had her issues, but we hobbled along together pretty well. I recovered the window valances, hung pictures, and found woodsy-looking spreads to keep complete my cabin-look decor. It is perfect for one and even comfortable for two when a friend joins me. I named the beast Agatha after Agatha Christie. As the summer wore on, I camped with the Midwest glampers and our camping friends a number of times. I learned to drive and park Agatha better, to dump the tanks, to level her after parking, and to tune the TV. But I missed giving Butch indecipherable hand signs as he backed our travel trailer into various contorted campsites. His typical comment, does that mean stop or back up or you're doing great? In August, we, Agatha and I, went to Backbone State Park for five days for a Midwest Glampers gathering. This group is mostly women who camp on their own. Some have husbands who don't like camping or have jobs that interfere. Others are divorced or never married. Several are widows like me. They are a wonderful supportive group and it is very comforting to spend time, especially with those who have suffered a loss like mine. We fixed and ate meals in our campers and gathered for socially distanced campfires in the evenings. We went for a stream walk one warm afternoon in one of the cold creeks that feeds into the Makokota River. We did some crafts outdoors. The weather, except for a shower Sunday morning, was quite pleasant. It was a great weekend. On Monday morning, I checked the forecast as I was getting ready to pack up. There was a chance of rain at home in the afternoon, so I decided to get going as soon as possible. Rain always lessens the fun of unloading a camper. I didn't run into any problems on the way. I didn't even see any threatening clouds. I came by Cedar Rapids about 11 a.m. and arrived home shortly before noon. While I was unloading, the weather warning siren went off. I decided to make a quick run to the grocery store four blocks from me before whatever it was hit. As I pulled in the parking lot, I could see an ominous cloud bank off in the west, but blue skies otherwise. I was in the store 10 minutes. As I grabbed milk from the cooler, a rumble sounded above my head. I rushed to the cash register and asked the assistant manager, was that thunder? She replied, no, that's the roof. The wind was causing the metal roof to reverberate with a roar. I looked out the front door of the store to see torrents of rain blowing sideways and garbage cans tumbling down the main street of town. The derecho had hit. I debated staying where I was, but the sounds from the roof convinced me to make a dash for my car. Three large branches were already down on that four-block drive home and had to be dodged. I made it home and ran from the garage to the house, possibly the only time I have run in the last 10 or 20 years. 
Once inside, I stayed tuned to the weather reports on TV until the power went out. It didn't matter. No one seemed to know for sure what was happening. Our small town sustained mostly tree damage. We were somewhat fortunate to be toward the southern edge of the storm. But not until later did I find out that I drove by Cedar Rapids about an hour and a half before winds of over 100 miles an hour would have hit my camper broadside. I'm sure neither Agatha or I would have emerged, if at all, in any kind of working order. I was saved by the fact that I was such a wimp about unloading the camper in the rain. In late September, my husband's younger sister and her husband graciously included me on a trip to the Michigan Upper Peninsula for two weeks. Butch and I had made a similar trip three years before and loved it. We revisited some spots, Taquanaman Falls and the Shipwreck Museum at Whitefish Point, and explored new ones, Sault Ste. Marie Locks, several waterfalls in the western part of the peninsula, and the Porcupine Mountains. We cooked and ate most of our meals in our own campers, but often had a campfire after supper. The weather was great, and we took hikes through the beautiful country. Agatha only had one mishap, trying to get out of a muddy site at our last stop in Michigan. It was a wonderful trip, but what never leaves me is that it was better with a partner. This is not a romantic metaphor, I know, but it's like when you lose a filling in your tooth and you are constantly aware that something's missing. And this was true during my other camping trips. They were fun, with great people, but would have been better with my husband along. In spite of that, I believe those trips kept me sane. In September, my daughter in West Virginia invited me to spend Thanksgiving with them and got me a flight. At the same time, my Texas son also scheduled me a flight to Dallas for a Christmas visit. The spike of COVID cases in October and November led me to eventually cancel plans for both. I still had a small celebration with my oldest son and his family who live in Illinois, but the winter loomed in more ways than just weather changes. Throughout all, the presidential election threatened to tear the country apart. As a former history and government teacher, I viewed the disintegration of thoughtful discourse with despair. It has been the longest year of my life, but I cannot overlook the tremendous love and support I have received. Our children visited frequently last winter to help with their dad. His sister and her husband loaned us their house for two and a half months so he would not have to deal with steps. Friends came and stayed with him when I had appointments or needed to run errands. People brought food and sent cards. Neighbors have helped with clearing snow and mowing grass. The kids came back last summer to replace the boards on the top of the pergola. Women in my same situation have been more than helpful with advice, but especially listening. One regret I have let go of. Had he not fallen, my husband's last days would likely have been much lonelier. Barely a month later, we would not have been able to be with him at the end. A visitation and a funeral would not have been possible. Hugs between family members would have even been risky. As it was, he did not go through complete isolation and visits only through a window. When he passed, he was surrounded by family, and those who were not there had visited in the previous month. We were able to come together at a visitation and a funeral for support and to share memories. I reject the saying, everything happens for the best. In this instance, there was no best but perhaps what happened was better than what could have. It was certainly a learning year for me, some lessons that I would just as soon have avoided. Besides my aunt, my husband, aunt, and friend, many others in my life are no longer with us, including a number of former students. 
And of course, I realize I am not alone in my losses. I don't know anyone who hasn't had devastation this year. Hope is on the horizon with the promise of vaccines. It will be a long road to recovery, mentally, economically, spiritually, and politically. I am reminded of the reclamation process for a piece of land that has been contaminated by a chemical spill. It is a long, painstaking process to return the soil to a substance that will sustain new growth, but it will never be completely the same, and all life must adapt. Thank you for listening to These Interesting Times. This audio presentation is made possible by a partnership between WVIK, Quad Cities NPR, and the Midwest Writing Center in Rock Island, Illinois. Support for this project comes from the Illinois State Library.